Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. The markets had a very rough day. Why and what does it mean? We'll talk about it with Dr. Ian Lee, a professor of business at Carleton University. More Crime Stoppers money for the meth crisis. Jibstop founder Dan Bourget joins us on the podcast. And Barbara Bowes, the chair of the Manitoba Women's Advisory Council, will join us as we talk about International Women's Day. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. single largest drop we've ever seen in, in the stock market history. This is bigger than the drop that caused the Great Depression back in 29. Now, having said that to you, this is in terms of actual numbers, the number of points that's fallen. As a percentage, the Great Depression had a bigger drop. Could this trigger a recession? Yes, absolutely. That is uh, McMaster Prof. Marvin Ryder. We were talking to the uh, prof from the University of Calgary about gas and oil prices about half an hour ago. Joining us now on the phone, Dr. Ian Lee, a prof of uh, business at Carleton at the Sprott School of Business. Uh, Dr. Lee, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Hal. So as I look now, I, I uh, just checked uh, the uh, Toronto index. It's down, uh, as we speak, geez, almost 10%, down over 1,500 points. And uh, I think it's about 8% down in New York. Your initial reaction to the way things started and, and where we're heading? Well, the, uh, yeah, I've always, when I say trusted the stock market, I mean, I, I see it as a barometer. And it tells you of, you know, good weather ahead or bad weather ahead. You know, we look at the barometer, you know, is the low pressure front moving in? Is it bringing storms and, you know, thunder showers and electrical storms and all that stuff? The market is sending out very strong signals that there are very troubled times ahead. And, and what triggered the market, the capital markets, these are the stock markets for the shares of companies, right. was because the price of oil collapsed. So what I'm doing now is connecting the dots. Why did the price of oil collapse so quickly, so precipitously? Well, that's because OPEC uh, was negotiating last week production cuts. They wanted to take uh, one to two million barrels a day off the markets. In other words, pump less oil. And they brought Russia into the conversation because Russia and Saudi are two of the three largest oil producers in the world, along with the U.S. Mm -hmm. U.S. wasn't there. They're not a member. They don't believe in interfering with oil markets. Okay, so talks broke down. And Russia walked. They said, <laughs> you know, get lost. We're not going to agree to pump less oil. Yeah. And the reason why they were trying to pump less oil was because the price was going down because of China. China's the number one consumer importer of oil in the world. Yeah. And and oil's down 20%. The demand per day in China is down because of the coronavirus, mm -hmm. because the factories are closed, because people aren't going to work. So Saudi yesterday said, well, okay, we're not going to lose market share to Russia. So they said they went and cut their price overnight. They went to their biggest customer, China, and said, we'll sell it to you for six bucks a barrel less. And 
We're going to pump another million barrels a day, even though there's a flood flood of oil. There's too much oil in the market. And that freaked out everybody, and that drove the price down, and that kicked in the stock market. So there's all this turmoil and uncertainty. And until what's going on is Saudi and Russia, Saudi Arabia and Russia, are having this gigantic uh, global game of chicken and saying, who's going to blink first? And I think that maybe Russia will blink first because their cost of oil to dig it out of the ground is much more expensive than Saudi. Uh, Saudi is the cheapest oil in the world. They spend about 15 bucks a barrel digging it out of the sand. And so they can take more pain than Russia. And so that's why I think that uh, Russia will blink first. So that's why this has happened. Um, how con- how concerned should the average Winnipegger, average Manitoba, average Canadian be about this? Because when we wake up and we see, you know, the markets open down, uh, you know, almost 2,000 points, uh, yeah. that scares the hell out of people. Yes, yes. I, I think it's pretty well uh, inevitable now that we're going to be, we're, we're now in probably, uh, or going to be very shortly, yeah. a recession for 2020. Really? And, and I don't mean a Canadian recession. I mean a global recession. It's going to be, to use that wonderful phrase from 2008-9, uh, a synchronized recession. That's his fancy talk for saying everybody's going into the ditch at the same time. And uh, and that's what's happening. And uh, it's because of the coronavirus. It's going to be different from past recessions, though. Hell, it's going to be different in this respect. In past recessions, going all the way back to the Great Depression, some demand would go down, some companies would get uh, frightened, they'd lay people off, and that would make it even worse, of course, downward spiral, more, less people have money in their pocket to spend, and so you get a, a demand-driven recession. In this instance, it's, it's coming from the supply side. The, the, in China, they shut down many, many factories that supply product. And then, even on top of that, millions more of people in China rationally said, you know what, I'm not going to work today. I'm not going to go to a shopping center. I'm not going to go where there's people because some of those people might be carrying the coronavirus and infect me and I might die. So people were staying home. They weren't going to shopping centers. They weren't going on planes. They weren't going and doing all the things that we do normally in our day-to-day life. I have friends because I teach every year in China and Shanghai, and they tell me. I get emails. And they're saying that the restaurants are empty. The streets are empty. The shopping centers are empty. And, and of course, that's dragging down economic activity. Companies are going to sooner or later respond by doing what? Laying people off. And so that's why people should be concerned in Canada. Well, and we're playing catch up here. We don't know where COVID-19 is. We just had the first Canadian death in British Columbia. We just had that in the last, uh, you know, half hour, 45 minutes here. We don't know yet where things are going to go with this, but I've had several business people on, and you're a business prof, explaining that, yes, this this, uh, could be really, really bad because we rely on those big events, concerts and restaurants and you know, uh, social distancing, I think, is going to become the new term that we talk yes. about. Exactly. And and remember, you know, um, this is why I've been so opposed to people saying, well, we can, you know, write off the natural resource sector. And I'm not changing subjects, but we're all connected. One person's expenditure is another person's income. Okay, so those people out there are getting laid off in the oil and gas sector. They're not spending money on cars. And those people that make cars are not spending money on houses and on and on and on. You know, the knee bones connected to the hip bone and all that stuff. In other words, the GDP is the totality of all of us interconnected in the economy. And so 
where I'm going with this is, is that when people stop going to concerts and they stop going traveling and they said so they're not going to hotels and they're not going on airplanes and they're not out there spending their money across the economy, anyone who thinks that it's not going to have any impact on the economy just doesn't understand the interconnectivity of it all. One person's wage is another person's expense. And, you know, I go to a Home Depot to renovate my – that's an expenditure to buy stuff there to fix my house. Well, that keeps people employed at Home Depot. And so this is going to hit us, just the fact that we are – and I understand why we're doing it. We're staying home, or so many of us are doing social distancing because we rationally do not want to get sick. But at the same time, it's going to have – when we all do it, it's going to have a, a collective, an aggregated impact on the economy. And not just in Canada. I'm not trying to blame Canadians. Yeah. This is going on in everywhere. China. It's going right. on in Europe. It's going on everywhere. Mm-hmm. Ian, thanks a lot. You've really uh, boiled it down nicely for us here. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Al. It's a growing problem, and the problem with methamphetamine is it isn't something that we have to control. Winnipeg police, so oh, the meth crisis continues to be a crisis. We just haven't been talking about it as much lately with all the other stuff that's going on. But we're talking about it today. There is a new Crime Stoppers campaign to fight the meth crisis. And joining us now to talk about meth, the founder of Jibstop, Dane Bourget. Dane, uh, nice to chat with you again. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me back on the air, Hal. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I'll get your thoughts on this uh, uh, Crime Stoppers campaign. I, I, I mean, this is good, right? We're focusing attention on this. It does seem like we haven't been talking as much lately about the meth crisis, but it continues, and we'll get into that in a moment. But first of all, I guess any help is is welcome when it comes to fighting this, eh? Absolutely, I fully agree. And uh, you know, I, I heard them mention they set aside one hundred eighty thousand for this, and uh, I think that's a very good start. But I think that's something that they can uh, keep going and keep pushing forward with. I hope after they run out of the money that they have set aside for this, that they find some more because, at the end of the day, that's that's what they really have to do. They have to do all they can to a help the addict who wants help and to stop the people who are selling it from continuing to sell it it's not just you can't just look at one side of it i think that's a very good way that they have uh that they've created to start attacking the other way you were a meth addict try and give us some sense what it's like to be hooked on this stuff you know it's like the uh, um so it's hard without like sitting down face to face and like showing you a graph or something like that. But yeah. just a quick thing. So dopamine is like a pleasure chemical that's naturally in your brain. And um, it can increase through other like when you eat a good, nice cheeseburger or when you uh, have intimate relations with somebody close to you or something like that. And it can increase up to like 200 percent at that. Whereas crystal methamphetamine, when you uh, inject that into your body, it increases your base levels of dopamine up to 1,400 percent so it's it's an extreme sense of pleasure that uh, that these people are feeling when they're doing it Um, but that's also followed by a very hard crash because then you're then depleted by that and that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult for people to get off because it is such a rush when they initially take it and there's no other way to get back to feeling okay unless you take it again unless you just tough it out and detox the hard way Winnipeg police uh, told us today it's a growing concern. It certainly hasn't uh, leveled out yet. Is that your sense as well in dealing with people trying to get off this stuff at, at Jibstop? Absolutely. Uh, so 
as far as our, we're becoming a little more popular and people are hearing us more and we're more of a name that people are familiar with. So that could be part of the reason for increase in calls and stuff like that. But we've seen nothing but a steady increase with, with people reaching out, looking for help. And I think you really touched on it before, like when you said, too, that this isn't something that's been talked about in the media as much as it was lately, but it is still a growing problem. And they are still talking about constant incidences that are related to meth, but you're just not hearing it quite being tied to meth as it used to be when it was such a hot topic, say, a year ago or whatever. I know that incident that happened at the, at the hotel on Pemina there with the dogs attacked those two individuals and stuff like that. I know that was a meth-related thing, and I know those people involved in that, and that's something that never came up in the news. And that's, and that's just, it's just an interesting fact that we're still talking about the violent incidences, but now the, just the fact that it's meth-related seems to have been removed from the headline now. And let me ask you a question. Like we're we're talking about this Crime Stoppers campaign, and and that's uh, you know that's great that that things like that are happening. Um, but if somebody was to say, okay, I I I need help. I want help. Somebody comes to you. Is there help? Are, because that's another part of this that has to be there too. And I know in the past it hasn't been there, uh, or at least not as much as was needed. What about now? Is there more help for people that want that help? You know, they've had these RAM clinics going now. That's rapid access to addiction medicine clinics. They've had them going for, I guess I want to say about a year now. And they're really starting to figure it out and it works a lot better. Some of the experiences, and this isn't with everybody, but some of the experience with our callers and people we've tried to help, we've managed to explain to them where to go uh, so they can go to this RAM clinic and they can get right into detox, usually that day or the next day, and then go right from there into treatment. And that's a far cry from what it was when we initially started Jib Stop because people were waiting, you know, one to two months just to get into detox and then they have to wait after detox to get into treatment. So it is becoming a lot more streamlined and that is big part to do with major players in the game like Main Street Projects are doing amazing things and they're uh, they're doing the best that they can with everything that they're opening up. But, uh, but still more needs to be there because that isn't the case for everybody. Some people still don't quite fit the criteria and they're stuck waiting a little longer. You know, we had our news meeting this morning. We knew about this uh, Crime Stoppers campaign they were going to announce. And we had a conversation in the news meeting this morning saying, Jim, you know, let's get an update. And that's why you're on here, here, Dane. Um, but does that frustrate you uh, as, uh, you know, the founder of Jibstop, an organization that's trying to help meth addicts out there? Does that frustrate you when it's still a crisis, but the media and people aren't talking about it the way we were? Um, you know, I understand just the general nature of the news cycle. For sure, it's a little frustrating, and uh, because it's still it's still something that wrecks thousands of families consistently throughout our community. Like just in Winnipeg alone, there's thousands and thousands of mo- mothers that aren't with their kids, or you know what I mean, kids that don't see their parents, or people who are losing their brothers and sisters. Like it's you know, it's still a constant thing. Like. 2019, I was at six funerals alone with people I know that died drug-related things. You know what I mean? So it's still a major thing in our community, and and uh, I hope that we can keep a little bit of a fire lit under it and keep everybody talking about it because that's uh, there's that old saying: the the squeaky duck gets the cracker or whatever, right? So um, yeah. hopefully we can <laughs> hopefully we can make enough noise that the government's willing to throw even more money at it, and obviously they still are because. They, the Winnipeg police are announcing this Crime Stoppers thing. So mm-hmm. the police definitely recognize that it's an important thing and a thing that they need to keep addressing. Uh, I just hope that the governments in power can uh, be of the same attitude.
You were at six funerals yourself in 2019, meth-related. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there was two of them where people were, like, with long-term meth effects, like meth-induced schizophrenia and stuff like that, and they'd been off it for a little while. But there were six that were directly related to meth that I was at myself and people that I've known. Wow. And I'm curious to know, uh, because you, you have a better understanding than most when it comes to this. Is this a drug where people in a meth addict's life, is a, are they aware that this is happening? Or is this an e- a drug that's easily hidden by people that are using it? Or is, or is it pretty obvious in most cases, do you think? I think the st- at the start, it can be hidden, but it's, uh, it's inevitable that it's going to come out. You can't constantly can't constantly be using and constantly hide it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. someone can pretend to have their stuff together for a couple months or something like that. But at the end of the day, people close to them are going to know unless they just start isolating and doing their own thing, which quite generally happens. And it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, why isn't my, why hasn't my son been around much in the last eight months? You know what I mean? You might not pick it out exactly, but uh, I think most people will have a general idea that something's going on. And that's something that you can easily just look up online, like the telltale signs, like such as weight loss and dilated pupils, uh, loss of appetite, stuff like that. That's all stuff that people can look up if they suspect that for sure. Right. Hey, one more question uh, before I let you go here. Um, if What's the one thing the average person listening right now probably doesn't have a family member or a friend uh, oh, maybe they do, but maybe they're not aware that they have a family member or a friend uh, using math. The average person thinks this is tragic and wants to do something. What, I mean, obviously, if they see something, you know, the Crime Stoppers thing is sort of a cool thing that's been announced today. What's your best advice for the average Winnipeg or the average Manitoban hearing us chat here this afternoon, Dane? Well, what can we do to try and make a difference in this crisis? I think one of the biggest things that is you said it, like if you see something, say something, whether it's somebody close to you or whether it's somebody you just barely know, if you suspect that they're uh, using meth or if that their life is falling down, then just pull them apart and say, hey, I, I see this. This is, you know what I mean? You're not fooling anybody. Is there anything I can do to help? And just try to be helpful and supportive. At the same time, too, people got to remember to keep themselves safe. I wouldn't suggest just going up to a stranger you see walking through Porter's place being like, you look like you might be on meth. Can I help you? You know what I mean? We have to we have to stay realistic and keep ourselves safe. But if it's someone we know, our best bet is just to say something. All right, and obviously you guys try and do as much as you can at Jibstop. If somebody wants more information or wants to help you do what you do, how can they uh, get a hold of you or, or find out more? Absolutely. They can reach out. They can reach to us on Facebook at Jibstop, or they can phone our, our helpline directly, and that telephone number is 204-904-STOP. That's 904-STOP. 904-STOP or Jibstop, which is spelled J-I-B, Jibstop on Facebook. Dane, thanks a lot. Great, Al. Thanks again. Have All a right. nice afternoon. Talk to you soon. Okay. Joining us in studio right now, my friend Barbara Bose from Legacy Bose, of course, uh, but you are here today as the chair of the Manitoba Women's Advisory Council. Nice to see you, Barb. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. You came right from a news conference today uh, with the uh, women's minister in the uh, province of uh, Manitoba, and you, you made some announcements today for International I, Women's Day, which was yesterday, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned well, it today. We, we celebrated today, and, yeah. Ma- and Minister Cox, who's the minister of the status of women, announced... Uh, 
a new set of awards, and the award is 20 women to be nominated for 20 awards in celebration of 150. And out of those awards, we're looking for women uh, that are actually in the field, 18 to whatever age, that are contributing in their community or contributing in their own organization, but working strongly towards gender equality for women. So we're, we're looking at any ideas. Um, so you're looking for nominees. We're looking for nominees, and that's just brand new today. The applications can be found on the uh, Women's Secretariat. Download them and nominate your women. The Women's Advisory Council, there's uh, several of us, uh, eight of us around the table, will be looking at the nominations and coming up with the 20 people that we believe are deserved of the awards, and the awards will be nominated in September. How did the Advisory Council get started? Tell me about that. Um, Many, many, many years ago, the government wanted some advice in terms of reaching out to the community um, to get feedback on what are some issues that are out there on the ground floor. And so women are nominated to sit on the committee. There's usually about eight members. And we look at all areas of women's lives, the the economics, the education, the health, etc. And it's, it's basically women coming together once every three months, six times a year, um, putting forward what's going on in their community, what are some issues that the government should be looking at, what are some recommendations that they should be looking at, etc. Um, so, for instance, when the Education Commission was uh, really in full floor, our uh, committee, our council rather, um, put forward a brief and presented to them on, on statistics of girls in education, um, when the um, Municipal Act was being uh, revised, we had a committee put together. Uh, some of the elected rural uh, mayors, reeves, and councillors got together and put forward their recommendations. So we, we um, do a lot of work. And I, I, I want to mention at this time, too, two years ago in 2018, the councillor uh, council also did a study on women trying to get a handle on what is the status of women uh, in Manitoba. And how we were just shocked. There's not a lot of statistics hmm. in the broad base. There might be some in education because yeah. they keep good records or some in health because they keep good records. But generally, there's just uh, an abhorrent lack of data. So here we are sitting. Yeah. How, and, do you, how do you fix the problem when you're not even <laughs> tracking it? Right? Well, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, How can we come to you? I can bet what's going to happen. I come to you and I say, Hal, you know, here's, here's what I really think should be done. And they say, well, where's your stats? Back it up, right. Back it up. We can't, mm-hmm. we, we, we can't do that. Yeah. We have intuition. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not going to, yeah. it's not going to fly. And I have to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little story sure. too. Um, because years ago when I was in education, I'm using my intuition and my own experience. I knew that there was a need for teacher aid, we called them at the time, training. Because at that time, learning disabled kids were just kicked out into the hallway to be with a mom that didn't have any training or experience, and the trained teachers in the classroom were the kids that really don't need it. Need it. And so I designed a program, and I took it to my school board. They say, hey, Barbara, what's wrong with you? They have to pay you. And, you know, like, you've got to be joking. Yeah. So I took it to the University of Winnipeg with the idea, and they, yeah, they liked the idea, but I had no stats. Mm. How are you going to prove it, Barbara, they said. Mm-hmm. Well, thankfully, there was a conference. It was called SAG at the time. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll hold a conference at the same time as the teachers. How? Every day we got more and more people. We had to change the venue three times. We had 1,000 people. Wow. So I finally got my stats, and we got a program at the University of Winnipeg. 
But now, I mean, this is 25, 30 years later, we're still in the same boat hmm. that you're saying, Barbara, you've got just intuition. I mean, your women's group, they've got intuition. You don't have data. Yeah. Sorry. And, and you know, this is, this is what I find really interesting about this issue because there's obvious stuff like wage equity, pay equity, right? Right. But then there's subtle stuff. Like I saw a story this morning, universe, uh, uh, high school in the U.S. somewhere, and a note was sent out to the girls, not the boys, but the females, please make sure your prom wear is appropriate, right? There's subtle stuff like that. There's obvious stuff like, hey, pay a woman, you know, the same as a man makes, but then there's really subtle stuff. Like even this morning I was driving in listening to the start, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we listen every morning, and they're talking about Leah Hextall and the all-female broadcast uh, team and what a great job they did, and some people saying, well, I, I, I don't really like them. I don't like the sound of their voice. That's subtle. To me, that's a bias. That is a subtle bias that has nothing to do with the sound of their voice. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you'll be sitting in a crowd and, and watching TV, and someone will make a comment on the woman's lipstick right. or their hair mm-hmm. or their dress, and they're sitting right next to a guy. Do we hear a comment about the guy? No. No. Yeah. Here's another example. Um, the other night there, on, on TV, there was an 81-year-old lady um, getting a PhD. She was presenting her uh, dissertation, and her dissertation was on aging in place. So the male comment watching the same program was, well, that's kind of a goofy. That's really not even worth that, That's actually a bachelor's degree level, not a PhD level. Well, it's a woman's issue. Right. This individual is very scientific, male, mm. and discounting the, the right. what this lady was doing. It happens all the time. Yeah. And, and I think in many cases, it's not on purpose and there's not malice behind it in most, or like I hope not, or I don't, I don't like to think that there is. But it's just a bias that over the years continues and it needs to end. It's socialization. Right. And, and there's just... It's whole society and our years of growing up and how we're brought up and what are the values and communications and things that we, we learn in our families. Um, you know, just look at how do you raise your kids. Girls are inside washing dishes and dusting and making the beds. The guys, the boys are outside uh, monitoring and they're mowing the lawn or mm-hmm. cutting off the branches or whatever. Why is that? Yeah. It's just socialization. It's, a, it's societal, for sure it is. And yeah. we need to start paying, you know, more attention to that. Yeah. I know you follow U.S. politics. I do as oh, well. I love and it. and uh, Elizabeth Warren, right, dropped yep. out, and she has. They asked her about well, another woman that will not be. You know, Hillary right. Clinton was the first no- female nominee of a major political party. Won't be another a woman president. Maybe a vice president. You never know. It depends on which one of them wins and, and who they pick. Um, but you know, often somebody will say, "Well, I I just don't like her." I've heard lots of people say, "I wouldn't if I was an American. I would never vote for her. She's too short." What in heaven's name does short have to do with it? This, yeah. It's ridiculous. So you're right. Those are all, you know, subtle kinds of biases. Mm-hmm. And here's just another example. Yeah. I do a lot of training and a lot of workshops, and so I'm always looking for clip art. Mm-hmm. You can hardly find clip art of women in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. It's always a man sitting behind the desk with his little skinny tie yeah. and very, very few women. So you're, you're constricted in yeah. order to try to do things, and... You know, women are still taught, girls are still taught not to speak up, not to argue, not to be debate, not, you know, to be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we do speak up, we're argumentative. Yeah. So yeah. we have a long ways to go. Yeah, 
Right. And, and you're in the HR world. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, right? The, the things that women deal with uh, in the workplace that, that men typically don't have to deal with. That, that's another uh, 10 or 15 minute conversation. I do want to go back to the awards and the nominees just again, because I think this is a way we battle some of this stuff, right, uh, uh, Barbara? We, we battle it by pointing out and recognizing women that are making a difference uh, in that area. So just again, uh, okay. 20, 20 nominees, 20 awards. Tell us how again. 20 nominees. Well, hopefully. Yeah, that, more than that. We're going to yeah. get more than 20 nominees. 20 hopefully. awards. Hopefully we yeah. have 20 awards. We want women that are right on the front lines uh, working so hard f- towards um, gender equality. Uh, anyone 18 and over in a community in rural, urban, north, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we will even take a look at groups of women who are made a significant difference in their community. You don't have to be high profile because a lot of the, these women are behind the scenes, mm-hmm. working behind the scenes, yeah. but their contributions in the community are really extremely valuable. So those nominations can start coming in right now. They can go to the Women's Secretariat, pick off the applications, send them in. And the awards will be uh, given out in September uh, when we have Gender Equality Day. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.